Lots and lots of intriguing questions. This podcast is brought to you by Building Digital Capacity for the Arts and Arts Council England and BBC Academy Partnership. There ...about uh, determining both your organisation's purpose and understanding deeply what your user wants, the situation that they're in. And so you, you, you had a brilliant side where you said, well, we did a bit of light-touch ethnographic photographing of people holding some devices. First question I'm going to have then is, how do you genuinely think we can deepen our understanding of our audiences um, for apps? So, so I think several ways. I mean, first of all, keep following people around your spaces. You know, not in a stalky sort of way, obviously, but... Um, CCTV style. But just sort of have a look at what they're doing and go up to them and ask them occasionally. And if you've got new prototypes of your apps that you're working on in the same building as them, you find people are engaged show them to them get them to play with them I mean we sort of um, we've been working on this app platform for about six months now and the first three months we had the majority of the work done and the rest of the time was spent actually just handing the thing to people and saying play with it and then learning what breaks and then get them to play with it a bit more and learning what feels intuitive and get them to play with it a bit more and I think lots and lots of very light touch you know user-centric research, I mean, not focus groups or anything like that necessarily. Just, you know, hand it to people, film them if they'll let you, see where they wince or where they find it difficult, or where they peck at the screen a lot, and, and off How about that thing, because, I mean, so the one thing is like user testing, a thing that you've already, you've kind of, you've got the concept, you've started to design it, you've got a damn good hunch mm. that this is the right thing. Uh, Actually, you said something that was rather beautiful. I mean, you asked someone why they were taking a photograph, which was, I'm remembering it. You know, and that, that moment when you discover someone's motivation that lies beneath an act is a really, normally it's a bit of a jaw drop moment, isn't it? You're like, oh, you're remembering it, right. And actually then that sort of changes the way you might think about what you're creating, because yeah. you might think, well, actually, I should facilitate the remembering of these things. But really hard to observe those things. I think it is, but I think also... One of the things that we've been trying really hard to do is, is avoiding the usual self-selective communities. So, you know, talk to your parents, talk to aunts and uncles or people down the pub or yeah. whoever will listen to you if you buy them a pint or, or whatever it is. But don't necessarily show it to everyone in your organisation and expect to get an objective view. Yes. Because much as we like to think that our colleagues are normal, in inverted commas, and they probably are, <laughs> They're not normal in, invert in the sort of case of the people who are outside of our organisations. Yeah. And you can often learn more from listening to people who are outside Different. rather than people who are inside. You said a very interesting thing at the beginning about um, demographics. You made a, a kind of a sort of a maths leap from the percentage of smartphone users. And then you said, and actually from that we can surmise that about half of our uh, audiences may have a smartphone. And in my mind I was thinking... Not if your art form skews into the really well-to-do, media-savvy bunch, because it's skewed, at that point you're probably up to 98%, and in some other art forms you might be down to 2%. You know, the skew Absolutely. is probably not necessarily flowing directly from, the, uh, from the, the demographic data that we have at the moment. So that's going to be a really intriguing challenge. Is there, is there really good data about how smartphones <coughs> kind of operate through society? Um, statistics and data is really, really difficult um, in mobile and even worse in apps just because of the, the technologies that are available, being able to track, um, you know, you need to decide what you want to track maybe right. in terms of usage. 
um, you know, we would like to know how many people swipe certain carousels, um, but it's a really difficult thing to do because you potentially might be sending lots of data, for an example, back to BBC or back to another um, tracking platform mm -hmm. to see how people are interacting with it, and it's, um, it may cause the whole thing to fall over. Right. So, um, you know, there is a balance, and actually in terms of industry information, again, um, Apple will say that they have the most handsets in the UK, and so will Android. So, it, and they both say that. Exactly. Yep. Well, that's good there. Well, that means it's probably easier all round then. <laughs> okay, well, let's go, let's go for a question from the floor. We've got the mics again. I can't quite see where they are. There they are. Uh, so, if you want to raise your hands uh, to get a question in here about, okay, fair enough, you've, you've, you've made the whole thing look thoroughly enticing. Now, what are we going to do? Because I've got a question about collaboration, which I'm going to pose to you lot if you don't come up with a question very soon. Over there. And there was one over here as well, wasn't there? There it is. I'd okay. Like yeah, go for it. Tell us who you are and where you're from. Tessa Jackson from Innova, the Institute of International Visual Arts in London. Chris, I'd like to ask you, in who you're working with and developing Art Finder, what's the sort of... Uh, Potentially, what are the what's the business case? What's the sort of economic side of it all? Um, so, there are, there are three things. Um, so, first of all, on the main part of the website, it's about selling um, facsimiles to a certain extent. So, print on demand um, or catalogues or, or books, those sorts of things. And we're working with the same sorts of printers that work with all of the main galleries to do that. And we're working with the arts organisations where they um, give us the images and we then revenue share the proceeds of the print-on-demand back with them. So the same model that galleries actually do with print-on-demand companies anyway. The second thing is around um, sort of sale of original works. So lots of artists find it very hard to sell their original works and we'd like to help build storefronts for them. And obviously there's an affiliate fee in there for us around that. And then the third one is to do with apps. And um, we're just about to announce all of the pricing. Um, but if you want to build an app that you distribute freely in the App Store, then you pay a, a small fee to use the production system that we've built. And um, if you want to put one in the store that is um, a paid app, then it's free to produce, but we do a revenue share on the, the proceeds after Apple or whoever the app stories have taken their cut. And so we're, we're trying wherever we are to help people to experiment to a certain extent. So if they want to, and lots of what we think about with, with apps is it's kind of enabling books and catalogues that never would have existed before to exist. You don't have printing costs and you don't have inventory costs and storage costs and things like that. And so that's, that's kind of what we see in that model, that we want to allow people to experiment and then we'll share the proceeds with them out of that. So we've just built the tools and the platform for that to exist on. Does that answer it well enough? Can I just add, uh, is there collective marketing or is it individual marketing of these? So there is some collective marketing. So we do some work um, on that side of things. We're also within the apps, we have a a screen which sort of says, do you want to learn more? And it tells you a bit about ArtFinder, but it also recommends other apps that you might like. So one of the things that worked really well in the early days of social games on 
places like Facebook and MySpace was cross-promotion within games. And we think that will work really well in this space. And it's, it's again back to the sort of serendipity side of things. You've enjoyed this. You may well enjoy this. You might not. Um, there's also, you know, we always encourage the artists and the, the, the institutes that are creating the apps to do some marketing. And we're also talking to the tablet manufacturers and people like um, Google to do with Android, HP to do with WebOS, BlackBerry, and, uh, and also we are talking to Apple, but they're a bit harder to, to do partner marketing with, bizarrely enough. But they are interested in the arts, very interested. Um, I mean, they, they feel they've created this wonderful device and actually there's not much really lovely content that's authentic on it at the moment. So lots of the apps that you do find in the App Store that have art in there, nobody has any idea where the images came from. And Apple would like there to be some authentic relationships between them and major art institutions. Mm. And if we can help broker that in any way, then fantastic, everyone wins. Okay, we've got one over here and one over here. Mike, to move over here. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, Klaus Timer with Project Press again. Um, this is a question to both Chris and Mark, and I think there's been a lot of talk about the technicalities and all this nonsense that I don't really care about. And as you said, you can get other people to build it. Um, storytelling, have you got any um, case studies or any advice on what kind of storytelling uh, mechanism does work on applications in specific compared to on other platforms? I think um, on, on my side, um, <laughs> children, there's a couple of things I'll talk about. One, one is children. Um, children really love using touchscreen devices. For children who are under sort of five, it's actually much easier to, for them to touch something and try and work out the coordination of moving a mouse. So children are a really great um, sort of target market for doing things like apps, interactive and storytelling. Um, and if you really want to um, kind of create a, a really dynamic and exciting app for children, you can do things like allow them to even record their own voice or your voice while they are reading stories. Uh, they can colour in the pages from stories. Um, it's a really, really exciting place to be in. And the other thing that I've done a little bit on is integrating something called NFC. And I do tend to be a little bit geeky, but that's basically being able to um, touch a certain um, point, like with your Oyster card, and you can get some information back. And there has been some work done, um, which I did at BBC, which was really looking at exploring storytelling with location, where you might be able to, say, um, go to a certain location, touch a poster, and then get some interaction back, which might be starting a, pay, uh, a little piece of video, listen to some audio, or being able to send in something. Um, so that's quite an interesting space as well. Chris? And I think from our perspective, the, the storytelling that, that we're interested in doing and we think will work really well in apps is people telling their own personal stories about their relationship with galleries and museums and things like that. So what moves them about a piece of art? So in things like iPhones, we're carrying around really sophisticated audio recorders. We just don't necessarily know it half the time. So if we can unlock that, and if after you've been and seen a lovely work of art, you can sit down and say why you loved it and associate that with the individual artwork and then maybe share that as a, as a social object, then that feels to us like a really good bit of storytelling. I went to this gallery and I saw these things and I really enjoyed them and that's why. And 
you know, I think it would really work well for somebody else. And that, mm. that feels like a really interesting piece of, of storytelling to me, where you can actually get the individual users of the apps to tell the stories and to then use those stories to effectively market the gallery to their friends or market the artworks to their friends and, and things like that. I think it's interesting how seeing lots of arts organisations struggle with exactly that, which is how, how, can, the, how can they utilise the most engaged members of their audience to start telling the story of their organisation. Now, ordinarily, that would be the marketing department that would be telling the story. They'd be slightly controlling that story. They'd be ensuring quality and so on. And I think the interesting thing is I reckon this is more of a cultural challenge than it is a technological challenge. I think it's about a certain letting go and saying, all right, we've done this app and it's glorious. Look at how beautiful it is. And actually, we've stripped the, the navigation down to nothing. But the reality is there's no voice in there. And you go, and so someone might make a suggestion. Well, let's bring the user voice in. They go, well, what if it's critical? You know, straight away, there would be that response. What if it's critical? You know? My answer nowadays is, so what? Then someone else can argue and put it down. And then actually, you've got something really exciting on your hands. Um, let's have another question. There was one there. Oh, hi. Jane Finnis from Colts24. Um, Chris, thank you for... That was a really good talk. I really enjoyed it. And thank you for sharing the transparency about what you're doing, which I think is really, really interesting to see a commercial organisation kind of doing that. Um, obviously, the proof is in kind of where it all goes in terms of audience, and I think there's been a big question in all of stuff today about how any of this stuff actually reaches people at, a, at any sort of scale. Um, and I'm just kind of wondering about what, what your ambitions are and what your idea of success will be for Artfinder. Oh, God. Um, Lovely. It's never the easy question, is it? <laughs> Um, so I think that if we're, if we're sort of talking very hand-wavy, the, the long-term aim for it is that there's one figure that scares me that we often quote when we're talking about Artfinder, which is that the, the biggest seller by volume of art in the Western world is Ikea. And that feels slightly wrong. And if we can change it, not necessarily so that we're the biggest seller of art in the Western world, which would be a very nice thing to do, and everyone would be very happy with that. Um, but if we can get people to have things on their walls that they desperately care about, you know, that all too often when I wander around a gallery, there's something I fall in love with and I would love a print of it. And I'll, at the moment, scribble it down on a piece of paper on my hand and I'll go to the gift shop and I'll get there and I'll find I can't have it. And I'm disappointed. Now, if we can change that, so that not only when you're in the gallery, you can find out if you can have it, and if you can, you can buy it, and then you can tell people that you've done it and that that spreads out through friends, and friends then discover the art that they love and realise that they're entitled to do the same thing, then that's the win to me. Um, you know, I, I think that galleries and museums are totally wonderful, and please don't think I'm knocking you, because I'm not, but I think we need to make them feel that they are places where you are totally welcome and that you love being there, and that you love telling your friends about it, even though you don't have a degree in art history, and that your voice is valid amongst your friends, and that you can then become an ambassador, and that other people can then understand and love art because of you and your passion. So I think we just really love everyone to be art lovers, and that would be success. Uh, and in terms of sharing, you know, Facebook, very, very interesting. How can you tell people about your art love at the moment? It's very, very hard. The reason why it's hard is because art's in silos at the moment. It's all locked up, and you can't jump from one place to another, to another very easily. 
And as soon as we can start breaking down the walls of those silos and joining art up, we make it easier for people to share, for people to discover more things that they love, then that's great. And the social spaces will, will I think, start to become alive with discussions about art. Mm. Um, certainly, we've seen some really interesting things happen where people tweet links to individual art finder pages and you sort of see ripple out effects. And it's the same with Facebook likes and, and Facebook shares. And it's early days yet. And I think the, the key thing that I think will make it move quicker is actually opening up the content that's hard um, and being respectful about it. And of course, I'm talking about modern contemporary art where there are significant rights issues. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if you we were talking about demographics earlier, the demographics of the social space at the moment are far closer to the demographics of people who go to Tate Modern, who go to MoMA, who go to the places where there is lots of contemporary and, and, and modern art than it is to places that have antiquities. And, and I think once we actually start being able to, with respect for copyright and respect for artists, open up modern and contemporary, we'll see an absolute deluge of sharing and of people talking about the art that they love. Because at the moment, it's very hard. I think it is hard. There's, there's an interesting thing that's sort of an assumption that's built under all this. When we talk about rights, we always say something like this, uh, you know, with the proper and due respect to the creator's you know, rights positions. But the reality is, is that we've got a desire in this room to change rights positions. We've got a desire in this room, I suspect, because we are champions of those art forms and that sometimes the rights positions that are there stop us from being those champions. The interesting thing about the collaboration question and something that we, you know, we touched upon earlier is how are you going to work together to think about what those shared problems are, connect together, and then work out how you can work as groups rather than as individuals continuously trying to contract at a one point to one point level. And I think that's going to be a very intriguing thing. It's going to be underpinning these services. So weirdly, actually, although we can explore apps and we can explore IPTV, we fundamentally need to think about what those new rights frameworks are going to be. Even more important than that, how you're going to work together <laughs> to negotiate the new ones. Any other questions in the room? Got one from over there. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask Chris, um, because I thought one of the challenges, one of the other challenges, apart from rights, for contemporary art is the range of media and um, uh, one thing that I can't really see how you might represent it on Artfinder is like a large scale installation or something like that. Like how would you, um, you know, say like the Mark Leckie in, um, exhibition The Serpentine, it's a big exhibition, big artist, uh, you know, you're not going to be able to buy a print of his work necessarily without spending a lot of money and nor would you necessarily want to mm. um, so how can you use something like this to represent actually the you know the full range of artistic practice that's going on I think in, in essence it, it's not a dissimilar question than somebody would ask themselves when making the catalogue for that or a leaflet for that it's essentially the same you know it, publishing something that's three-dimensional to something that is essentially a two-dimensional material and so I think you'd do it the same way. You'd have lots of pictures. You'd have lots of pictures from different angles. You'd maybe give people a map as to how they relate to each other. You know, if it's a video installation, you'd have segments of the video there or hopefully the whole video there. And I think you just treat it the same way that you would do if you were creating another publication because that's, that's essentially all they are. These things are just sort of 
instead of it being you're printing onto paper, you're printing onto the screen of it when the person runs the app. That's the only difference, really. And it, it is going to be harder to monetize. Um, it, it's just paper with moving pictures to a certain extent. And so you've got the same problems there that you always had. I don't think necessarily thinking about virtual reality and things like that is, is going to help you there. I mean, some of the stuff that Microsoft are doing with Photosynth, I think, is interesting. So you know, anybody who's got an iPhone, go and get the Microsoft Photosynth app and create a panorama and see actually how you know, that feels slightly transformative. It's um, fairly bonkers, isn't it? Has yeah. anyone used uh, the uh, image synth, what was it called again? Photosynth. Photosynth, sorry, yeah. You have used Photosynth. All right, well, yeah, you, you should give it a go because it's, it's one of those things where I think you've asked the, the question, which is how can you translate one art form into another? And actually, there's another question that begs after that, which is what's the art form that's most suited to these devices? What's the art form that you might then commission your artists to do uh, next? You know, so actually, instead of saying it's a giant uh, exhibition sprawling across a public park, you might say, well, actually, we'll work with our artists in a completely different way that makes use of this device which goes back to your, uh, your usability question and thinking about users. Any last questions? Oh, yeah, we've got one over there. Hi there. My question sort of connects to the oh, previous... Do you want to your name and where you're from? Hi, my name's Lindsay and I work for BBC Scotland. Um, my question connects to your point, just, just with regards to... and also to the things that we've been discussing today, like video content. Would you, for example, in the case of an artist whose practice is diverse and when an exhibition is very experiential or work of art is, would you consider having an actual video of the exhibition on ArtFinder so that you could see a show in New York but not actually be there? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, we have some, some prototype apps that we're working on that I can't show you at the moment because, you know, they're confidential at the moment, but they all have video in them. And they have video of either the... Um, a piece of art that's being rotated in front of you, if it's a three-dimensional work of art, um, or it's you walking through an exhibition, or it's, you know, sort of video of a piece of video art itself. Um, and another thing we're working on at the moment, it's sort of a lightweight version of what Google are doing with the Google Art Project, where we've got some beautiful deadpan images of gallery walls from the Art Gallery of Ontario in Toronto. And uh, for anyone technical in the audience, through the cutting-edge technology of image maps, you can tap on the works of art and we'll tell you what's there. And it's sort of, what we really want to do is, is give people a feeling of what's in a show. You'll never actually give people a feeling of what a show is with these devices. In the same way that no matter how carefully you film it for a documentary, you wouldn't be able to show that. Or if you photographed it for a book, you wouldn't be able to show that. It's that limitation of not being able to sort of transmogrify one thing to another. Completely, you're only ever going to be able to give people some of the sensations, but not all of the sensations of being immersed within it. And so, yeah, absolutely, we, you know, all all art forms and all media on the site um, considered. In fact, we're adding in some video features in about a week's time, and certainly the apps already can do it. We've had prototypes for a little while, and those videos can then obviously go onto bigger devices. So you plug it into your TV, and hey, presto full HD on TVs. Got a question here. Oh, brilliant. Uh, Patricia Weekly, British Museum. Um, is there a point where IPTV and apps combine? 
Yes. Good question. In my opinion. Um, I mean, I think, you know, these devices are fantastic at video playback. And the screens are really, really good. And you can just pop them over there and they become a little tiny television. And so I think that's already happened. The same way um, we've had the apps that we make in the app platform working on Google TV for about sort of three months. We haven't done anything with it because that hasn't exactly taken off as a platform worldwide yet. But as soon as one of the, you know, Google TV, Apple TV, if it should ever gain apps, you know, I think they will combine. You'll see very similar, very similar experiences. Because actually when you play with one of these devices and you touch it, that's really great. And when you've got a remote control and you can hit a zone at either side and you see a really big picture go across your 40 inch or whatever it is television, that's a great experience. It's a different experience, but it's still, it's still a good experience. And it's a, I think the key thing is that they're different ways for people to engage. You know, bringing a gallery into your living room, either as a tablet or as a big TV, or bringing some of the works from it in there, or the feelings of it and the curatorial elements there. It's great. It's not the thing, it's another thing that relates to it. And I think it's, it's very much coming that they'll merge in some way, shape or form. Certainly the technology is behind them at its purest level. Mark, you got any views about the merging? No, I definitely think it is merging. Um, there, you know, there are smartphone devices now that have inbuilt projectors, um, which are kind of very, I don't know, functional for some people, I guess, for children maybe. Um, so, you know, you can, you can consume AV content on a smartphone, make it a bigger picture, have more people sitting around, predicted on a wall um, and it'll probably happen in the next two years I think where these devices will be much more converged um, and wirelessly connected to say your TV I think the interesting thing about that merging because obviously merging is a major theme in the media over the last 10 or so years is that what it starts to tell us is that the way that we make things we not we need to be on the one hand very cognizant of the platform very aware of how the user's engaging with that platform. But also, to, 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 to you guys earlier, that sense of how can we build things in such a way that they'll be able to deliver elegantly into those other spaces so that we don't necessarily have to reinvest out and reimagine our editorial processes at every point. Because I can imagine that being a looming and very unpleasant reality for arts organisations. So actually, there's probably another whole bunch of people who are working on, like your CMS, CMSs and content systems that are going to enable you to deliver really interesting experiences in different, different ways with slightly different flavours. Okay, thank you very much everybody.